So, still playing around with music, I guess I always will. It's such a part of me. It can't be separated. <laughs> but I'm doing it for a far different reason than I did in the beginning. Like everybody else in the 60s, I wanted to be a rock star. <laughs> but a flute player doesn't really make a very good rock star. And my interest in Eastern religion really took over everything. And so here we are today. I hardly ever take the flute out of the case, except for today. Made a little lick on the opening. But uh, really what it's about for me now is sharing the wonderful blessings I've been given. So in a few days, it's rainy season here in Sri Lanka. Very nice and quiet. Peaceful are mellow. Even the dogs are quiet. Watch, they'll start barking now. <laughs> but in a few days, I'm going to take a trip up north and meet some new friends in Jaffna. And we'll see where it goes. But the time is very auspicious. Just a few days ago, about a week ago, Saturn turned direct in my 11th house. And in January, he's going to be going into my 12th house. Yeah, I'm in Sade Sati, <laughs> deep into it. And um, also, in a few days, on the 20th, I believe it is, no, 23rd, Jupiter turns direct in my first house in Pisces. So that's going to be a tremendous boost to everything. And since Jupiter is also trining my natal Jupiter in Scorpio, it's going to be huge. It's going to be big because my natal Jupiter is in the ninth house of religion. So that means a tremendous expansion in the areas of religion, spiritual teaching, sadhana, realization, you know, all that good stuff. And that's all going very well. And I'm really happy that not only Jupiter, but Saturn is bringing so much benefit into my life. It's like I finally got the message that Saturn has been trying to teach me my whole life, which is don't put much stock in material relationships because they're always temporary, but rather prepare for the change of body and having spiritual relationships on the spiritual platform, which is, of course, a whole different thing. A much, much more pleasant and enjoyable, pleasurable and enlightening experience than trying to get things together with people in the material world who mostly just don't get it. So anyway, 
In my last few years here on this planet, my plan is to remain a sannyasi, remain strict sadhaka, and to continue teaching all four levels of yoga, karma yoga, bhakti yoga, raja yoga, and jnana yoga. Because these are based on the four levels of consciousness. Jagrat, Svapna, Sushupti, and Turiya. So why do I want to base my teaching on these steps of consciousness? Because everybody has them. If I were to base my teaching on a particular religion, although I love the Vedic religion, don't get me wrong, it's the best and most complete religion in the world. Still, there are a lot of people who can't relate to it because it's in the Sanskrit language and it's from a so-called foreign country or whatever. Or they were born into a different religion and they just don't get it for whatever reason. But everybody, everywhere, has four stages of consciousness. It's universal. So if we start from this fact, relatively easy to understand and certainly observable and verifiable to everyone, you have four states of consciousness, waking, dreaming, sleeping, and the substrate, the underlying awareness that is there all the time, never changing. So, a teaching that's based on this truth about consciousness is far more universal than any religious teaching could be. And you might ask, well then, what about karma yoga and bhakti yoga? They have specific qualities based on certain deities and so on. Yes, but all those deities are simply metaphors for the supreme Brahman, Turiya, the universal consciousness in different languages, different cultures, and different religions. So there's really no difficulty for anybody in any part of the world from any spiritual or religious culture to understand this teaching of four states of consciousness. And they can perform the different yogas according to their ability, their taste, their spiritual and religious background, and so on, in any culture in the world. That's one of the reasons why uh, I like to do the music so much, but putting the Shiva mantra to different styles. And you notice none of the styles are the same. <laughs> I've done, what, about 15 or 16, 18, something like that. Each one is different. It's like having 18 different flowers. They're all beautiful. They're all fragrant. But each one is different. Each one is unique. So in that way, I'm trying to say, communicate without having to say it, that Shiva's name or God's name, any of God's names, is just as powerful and just as efficacious in the background of any culture, 
in the background of, of any style. And so we can have a lot of fun with this. And we should. Spiritual life should be fun. It shouldn't be deadly dry and boring. The way we see, you know, some of these guys who present spiritual topics. I mean, I can't get through it, you know. I'll watch the first 30 seconds of the video and then go, oh my God, this is dry. And, you know, click on to some snarky puppy or something. <laughs> because that has life. That has vitality. It's fun. So spiritual life should be fun. You know, in fact, even in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, this devotional service is joyfully performed. If it's not joyful, if it's a grind, if it becomes a dry duty, you're missing it somewhere. You, you got it wrong somewhere. Uh, there's too much ego coming in, or there's some desire coming in, or some rules-based conception or scriptural conception that maybe was formulated a thousand years ago and it just doesn't fit now. You know, so we have to adapt these principles to the time and circumstance. You know, so yeah, we can rock out a little bit. Why not? It should be fun. It should be enjoyable. Shiva loves music. So does Shakti. And they are both very friendly. You know, like it says in Ribu Gita, Brahman says, I am amiable. I am your friend. I am everybody's friend. Why? Because I am your indwelling consciousness, Brahman. So when one becomes enlightened and begins to share this knowledge, he starts to become aware of so many things just by the reflection of how other people see this knowledge. And, and most people think that it's, you know, really difficult. <laughs> and, you know, you have to study for years and learn foreign languages. And all. I certainly came from that kind of background, an academic approach. And in a lot of ways, it was good. It was especially good for me because I like academic rigor. I was a, a you know, finalist in the state science fair in my senior year in high school. Was offered a scholarship to MIT in nuclear physics, which I turned down as a protest against the Vietnam War. And went to music school instead. And I'm glad I did. Because even though I have the academic background and the study skills and so on to master any kind of literature, any kind of philosophical system, and analyze it by ontological analysis, still, I think it's all useless unless it has heart. Huh? Like Count Basie said, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. <laughs> bop a doo wah, bop a doo wah, bop a doo wah, bop. -a -doo -wah. See, it's got a swing, man. 
It's got to be jazzy. It's got to be fun. It should have some passion. It should have some heart. And if it doesn't, you better look into it because something is wrong. I like what Bhagavan Nomi said. <laughs> he said, if you go to a satsang and in the first five minutes you don't hear any laughter, run away as fast as you can. See? These teachings, this inquiry into the absolute truth, it should be lighthearted, it should be joyful, it should even be humorous. It should lead to spontaneous enjoyment and laughter. You know, it, it, we all grew up in church in the West where you're not supposed to laugh, everything's supposed to be serious, you know. And uh, that mood is just completely different. Now, before I got into that kind of religion, I was down south. My mother raised me in a sharecropper shack. We were real poor. But just behind the shack, there was a big cotton field. And every winter when the fields were fallow, they would set up a big gospel tent and have Holy Roller gospel sessions there. This is how I got my taste in music. <laughs> These people are having fun, worshiping God with music and song and dance and prayer, passionate, heartfelt prayer. It's not your typical Methodist or Catholic or Protestant, you know, bone dry, serious religion. No, it's fun. Church should be fun. The temple should be fun. Not that everything has to be in a completely rigid box of ancient ceremonies which can never be changed. Come on, you know. Why does God give us creativity? Why does God give us forms of art by which we can express our love our love for God, goddess, the world that they create, other beings, and so on. It's like, why not? Huh? So this is the thought I want to leave you with today. And I hope to see some discussion in the comments. And I hope that you go on, do your sadhana, yeah, chant your ancient mantras, and so on but also engage your creativity, engage your passion, share your realizations, put that energy out there, and you'll be amazed at how the Lord will reciprocate from within. Aung Tatsat. Aung Shakti Aung. Aung Namah Shivaya. <laughs>